Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 587th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you an American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the 587th episode of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host, Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective, our clubs, leagues, players, national team, and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Red Bull News Network. But as always, this show is dedicated to the game here in the United States. Chat room is open. Come on in. Discuss amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. Well, ladies and gentlemen, first things first, uh, hell of a CONCACAF Champions League final. Congratulations once again to Club Leon defeating LAFC. And uh, on another show, we'll talk more about that situation, uh, what happened this past week uh, in the CONCACAF Champions League. But I want to talk about the under-20s and their run, unfortunately, ending at the quarterfinal stage of the under-20 World Cup that was held in Argentina. You know, we are seeing our players improving, getting better and better and better as our youth players are showing on the international level that they are becoming a force to be reckoned with. And while we are seeing improvements with our youth national teams, the truth is is that we are still seeing some negatives. And some of the negatives that we have seen so far, especially in this particular tournament, is that they should have scored more goals than what they showed in their last four games, four to five games, and that includes the quarterfinals. It also shows that we can create and develop the talent within our academies of Major League Soccer, as well as those in the lower levels of USL Championship and USL League One. We are seeing players getting the opportunity for whichever clubs that they are playing for inside the United States, and it's getting stronger and better. But, but, we are still having the problems right now of getting out of the quarterfinals in the under-20 championships of FIFA. It's not the question of can we dominate within the confederation Yes, we have the talent to do so. Yes, we are able to go out there and become victorious in the CONCACAF under-20 tournaments. But when you are facing these other oppositions that are not from within CONCACAF, we are having some issues. Now, let me say this. This run was a success. Without a doubt, it was a success. And once again, they went all the way to the quarterfinals. It's still a success. But if you have this feeling like I have this feeling, that sooner rather than later, we need to see these young players go out and finally break through that jinx, through that hurdle of reaching the semifinals. It's got to happen soon, and it's got to happen now. And no, I'm not forcing it down anyone's throat. I'm not mandating it. I am just saying that this situation's got to be better, and this situation, we got to keep showing the world that we are able to 
battle and earn trophies. We are getting there. We're seeing the next great players coming through our youth academies and playing for the under-20 national team, male or female, and they are going to be big down the road when they play for Gold Cups, World Cup qualifying, and FIFA World Cups for the senior side. These players are going to be big one day, whether they remain in MLS or they do play abroad. These players are the future of our national team, and hopefully they will be the ones to be selected for that fantastic roster for the 2026 World Cup and hopefully for qualification for 2030. When we get there, we'll find out. But until then, we'll just have to wait and see. But once again, when you're playing a team like Uruguay, they're they're calculated, they're strong, they're difficult to break down, and they took advantage when they had to. And when they took advantage, they punished the U.S. youth national team of the under-20s. Without a doubt, without a doubt, there is still a gap for our players. There is still a gap, whether it be where they're playing, whether it be our coaching. The truth of the matter is this. They need to be better. They need to be playing a lot better. And the coaching, I will give Varus a lot of credit for what he has done. But unfortunately, he, I think he missed the mark with his starting 11. And even though he made his substitutions, it was already too little, too late. Because once that own goal went in, and it's unfortunate that the own goal went in, it was all over from that point on. They were not going to get that goal. They were not going to find a way back in. Uruguay is too strong, too talented. The lone South American representative in the under-20 World Cup. And you got to give them credit, and you have to give them their due. If it's not Brazil, if it's not Argentina, it's Uruguay. Uruguay, which I admit, I did not pick them to win. I wanted the, our kids to win. But Uruguay is one of my favorite South American national teams because I think their technical ability is beautiful. I think they play beautifully on the pitch. And I, I truly think they are a strong side that deserves a little more recognition than what Argentina and Brazil normally get. Look, they're the two of the best of the best. Uruguay, of course, was the first, uh, the first nation to win the inaugural World Cup back in 1930. They defeated Argentina. But still, though, in my book, Uruguay is the third best South American team in Conmebol. Some will argue against it, and that's fine. That's why we have debates, healthy debates. But Uruguay will now be facing Israel in the semifinals, and it'll be South Korea and Italy in the other semifinals. So we'll see who will be playing in the third-place match and who will be fighting for that championship uh, in Argentina in this under-20 World Cup. But I do believe that our players, our kids, will have that opportunity to fight, to battle, and to continue on to finally break through this quarterfinal jinx and get to the semifinals. I do believe the coaching is getting better, but once again, when you're when you're in the semi you're in the quarterfinals and you're facing a damn good team, you got to make sure your tactics are spot on, your formations are spot on, and your game plan is spot on. Until then, there's still a bit of a gap. Once again, 
we do have talented players. Without a doubt, we have talented players. I am happy. I am proud of our kids. They did a wonderful job, a masterful job. They went out there. They played their hearts out. They scored some timely goals. Cade Cowell scored three consecutive matches. The last two group stage matches, the round of 16 match, unfortunately, could not convert in that quarterfinal. Would have been nice if he did. But unfortunately, this is what happens. I think Varus did a good job, but once again, that quarterfinal match, tactics, formation, just went against them. And this is what Uruguay does to you. Press. You want to push. You want to attack. They'll give you the opening 15 minutes to do so. They will let you play a little. But then when they get you on the counter, and when they've already figured you out, and then they go get you, and then they put the ball away, and they lead on you 1-0, it's over. Because they know you've got to fight back. They know you're going to have to scratch and claw your way back. And you're pressing the hell out of them to get those opportunities. But once again, they know what's coming. And they found the way to stop you. They found the way to beat you. And they find a way. If they don't score that second goal, they'll find a way to frustrate you so that you'll put the ball in the back of your own net. And that's what happened in this quarterfinal matchup in the Under-20 World Cup. Listen. Give credit to Anderson Duarte in the 21st minute to make it 1-0. Got a great cross to put that ball in. And, of course, unfortunately, Josh Widener, own goal in the 56th minute to make it 2-0. And that was already game, set, and match. For the first time in this under-20 World Cup, conceded goals. And, unfortunately, it was in the quarterfinal round. This, my friends, once again, and I don't want to repeat myself, obviously, but, you know, we did beat a good South American team in Ecuador. It was amazing to see how Argentina fell apart against Nigeria, how Israel defeated the mighty Brazil, Colombia not qualifying out of the group stage. Unbelievable stuff. I'm sorry, they did qualify uh, out of the group stage, but um, they lose to Italy 3-1. My error there. But once again, Uruguay now carrying the flag of South America and for Conmebol to try and salvage the dominance and, of course, Argentina hosting this Under-20 World Cup. This is what you have to... uh, Envision, unfortunately, it does not go your way. It's tough once again, but you know what? There is success because our kids are qualifying out of the group stage. They are advancing out of the second round, out of the round of 16. And they are going to the quarterfinals. But once again, we got to find a way to advance out of the quarterfinals and get into that semifinals. We need better game plan. We need better tactics. And Varus right now on par with what Tab Ramos did in the last two to three under-20 World Cup championships, reaching the quarterfinals and unfortunately not going any further. So until the next CONCACAF under-20 tournament and then hopefully qualifying for the next FIFA under-20 World Cup, we will find out what will happen then. But until then, and of course until the next Under-17 World Cup, which the U.S. has qualified for, we'll find out what's going to happen there, and we'll hopefully give these young teams the opportunity. But of course the next tournament, the big tournament, will be the 2024 Parisian French Olympic Games. It's going to be exciting. 
It's going to be a lot of fun. Cannot wait to see what will happen when we finally get back to the Olympics and hopefully, hopefully get ready and have some fun and talk about what's going to happen with the Olympic Games next summer. It's going to be exciting. Great show for you tonight as we get ready to talk about uh, the big news here in MLS as well as in American soccer. Joining me tonight is the uh, beat writer of the Los Angeles Galaxy, excuse me, the Los Angeles Galaxy from the Striker News. Once again, Mike Gray joining me. Chris Klein has been sacked from the Galaxy and it uh, looks like everything has been uh, right as rain at this moment in time. Mike, welcome back. Thanks again for joining me. And how are you tonight? Hey, man, I'm doing great. Uh, you know, covering both uh, the Galaxy and the LASC for the Striker, it's a real privilege. But some weeks are a bit more, let's just say some weeks are harder than others. Uh, Chris Klein gets fired. Uh, team doesn't even know about it until they arrive in you know, we all Salt Lake, uh, so that happens. Gal- Galaxy win their first uh, road game of the season. That's cool. And then a few days later, I got to turn around and cover a uh, uh, Champions League final, so that was pretty ridiculous. Well, you know, you're a worker, my friend. You know, you're on the scene, what goes on with L.A. soccer. You're the best of the best. That's why you get both uh, beats. Well, technically, uh, you know, we have uh, Alex Ruiz, who does great work for the Galaxy. He's our beat writer. And then we actually have Justin Ruderin, who we just hired to be our LAFC beat writer. Uh, I cover both teams as a columnist, and then I also host a podcast. Uh, I'm doing my plug at the beginning, I guess. <laughs> I'm also doing a podcast called El Trafico Radio with Alex. And that's going along great. If you get a chance, check it out. And then also, if you get a chance, check out our work on the striker. See, I, I got the plug done in, at, at the beginning. So we, the rest of it is just good stuff, man. I'm happy. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. And, of course, you know, once again, just follow Mike Gray on uh, Twitter at uh, Mike Gray. And, uh, you know, just, just listen to what he does on that uh, podcast. He does great work over with L.A. Soccer, especially through Galaxy and now LAFC. Let's talk about what happened here. What was the last home loss, the final straw for the for the ownership to say, that's it, Chris, it, it's over? And, like, you know, he's been with the club for such a long period of time, obviously, first a player, then the front office member. Why did it not work out anymore with Chris? Well, there were a lot of final straws. Uh, you know, some people play Monopoly and then they rage quit when things get tough. Some people just keep on trucking until they've exhausted every last possible avenue. And uh, Chris Klein, he got that extension for the 11th season. That ended up transpiring into a months-long boycott. Now, it didn't it didn't happen overnight, but, you know, you just had this sort of rubber ball effect where uh, preseason games were just kind of drab. And, you know, uh, by the time we got to the regular season, you know, it, it became kind of it, – it went from being, you know, I discussed this, at, you know, over at the – LAFC game yesterday, um, there's been dozens of boycotts and uh, protests and stuff in MLS history, but, you know, they, they, they were always temporary just for a couple of weeks. You know, they, they never became like a thing. And by the time you got to the regular season, you know, the hardcore fan base, they didn't want to go to games. And so you had this atmosphere that, uh, you know, by having the, the supporters not go to games, you basically had this atmosphere at games that was just, it was dead. I mean, I'm t- <laughs> we're all laughing about it because it's over, but, I mean, uh, without the supporters, you know, and I cover both teams, so I, uh, I would go to LAFC games and, you know, witness one of the best atmospheres in the league and then go to Galaxy games, and then it's just dead, like MLS 1.0 atmosphere. And then, you know, that uh, attendance was down 10%. Uh, and then, you know, of course, the team being terrible, that only accelerated uh, things. And then uh, really, you know, again, results were bad. Uh, worst season in team history. 
even now uh, after the win, the Galaxy are last in MLS, uh, 12 points from 15 games. Uh, and, and the football was drab. And so, you know, all these things were terrible. But uh, on the business side of things, again, attendance was down 10%, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, uh, you know, the front office, they tried all sorts of tricks. They were all sorts of promos, all sorts of fancy giveaways. Speaking of giveaways, they were giving away free tickets, all to sort of keep appearances up. And, again, attendance was only down 10%. But, you know, what they were really doing was really killing killing the scarcity of the tickets and of the market. I mean, uh, there's no incentive for for Galaxy fans to be buying season tickets. I mean, just to to let you know, Daniel, um, within an hour of the client news being public, there were – (laughs) <laughs> there are actually Galaxy uh, uh, staff members sending phone calls to people asking them to come back. So, I mean, it was pretty that, – that's how bad the situation I got. Wow, that's amazing. As soon as Chris Klein gets fired, the the ticket office, uh, wow, contacting people to come back because they had – the announcement was made. That That's crazy. I never thought I, – I mean, I mean, you you've seen outside of – this current situation with the Galaxy, I mean, you've probably seen it in other clubs, whether it be in MLS or in Mexico with Liga MX or, uh, you know, everywhere else. But, I mean, I never thought it would be this bad where, you know, one man that's, you know, no longer on the pitch and, you know, he's the one running the club, uh, you know, in a in an executive um, position to really uh, push people away from going to the matches. Well, I was telling uh, I was telling Don Garber, the commissioner of Major League Soccer, of all people, uh, at the MLS San Diego announcement. You know, I was trying to suggest to him that California is the soccer state of uh, this great soccer nation. Soccer nation, and you know, you look at the NWSL breaking attendance records. You know, you have that rivalry uh, starting to develop between Angel City FC and San Diego Wave, and yeah, you know, it might be arrogant on my part, but I always thought. You know, to make that that league work, you've got to have an L.A. team. Not just an L.A. team, but as many California teams as possible, right? You have LAFC just doing everything. I mean, up until yesterday, you know, there was so much hype about LAFC and what they could accomplish. And, you know, for the past couple of years, they've just been, you know, the, the best team in the league by, by a mile. And then you have the Galaxy, right? Exact opposite, where they're terrible. But the one thing that I do like, and I'm going back to this point, you've had so many protests, so many just disagreements with the front office over the years. I mean, you've seen a rash of just incidents recently, including, you know, New York City FC and, of course, what happened with AC Milan, all these just sort of fans coming over, their players coming over talking to fans and just, you know, sort of awkward discussions. But, you know, look at what the Galaxy – fan base was able to accomplish. I mean, you hear a lot about the, the LAFC fan base, but the Galaxy fan base, you know, you have these pockets and you have these actual communities. And one of the reasons why the boycott worked was because Galaxy fans, don't get me wrong, they were miserable. They wanted to be at the game so badly. But they, you know, there were other avenues. They had watch parties. They had, like, their own events. Like, there was a family or ecosystem outside of the stadium that Galaxy fans could go to. And what impresses me about it is, you know, uh, I talked a lot about Ted Lasso and, you know, uh, Rexham and how, <laughs> you know, as Americans, we have this, like, almost perverted view of what we think, you know, a professional soccer team should be. I and mean, we look at Rexham where it's like, you know, oh, they're underdogs, but, like, they're not, you know? <laughs> I mean, they have, like, celebrity ownership and all sorts of money rolling in. And it's like, you know, we Americans, we always – and especially, you know, with I was saying Eurosounds, you know, they're always teaching, you know, they're always moving the goalposts on what authentic uh, soccer coverage or what football is. But, um, you know, so many Americans crave what they think is authentic soccer and, you know, everything about it. And then what's more authentic than a, fa- a, a fan-led protest leading to the ouster of, like, the club president? I mean, that's the kind of thing that, like, if you if what you want is authentic, you know, I mean, what could be more authentic than that? Oh, very true. I mean, the fans, the diehard supporters, they were hell-bent on having Chris Klein removed because nothing was working. And, I mean, 
I know this is what Greg Vanny's second season, I think it is second or third season managing uh, uh, the Galaxy. Yeah, Pardon? I'm looking at my notes, and you know, I just have I have sperm bank just like circled with a highlight because I mean, like at one point they had this. Uh, no, like, oh my God, dude! During games, they have an announcement like, you know, you can make fifteen hundred bucks, you know, crypto or crypto bank or crypto crypto. They're all just bad, but like, yeah, I mean, when when your sponsor is like a sperm bank, I mean, like, like, dude, like you've lost the plot, man. Like, and you know, I, it's funny because uh, it, this Chris Klein thing, it, it's almost like like a horror movie, you know. <laughs> For, for a lot of the fans and us media, just the fact that it's over because, I mean, just the sheer amount of time that it took a whole decade for an executive that, I mean, people were surprised that he got, when he got the first extension. That was five years ago. And then, uh, I mean, I don't know how, how, how many of your listeners know, but uh, we only found out about the extension in a uh, two-sentence email to the LA Times. So, I mean, that's pathetic. You should be announcing it. Chris, uh, Chris Klein, you know, up until uh, what happened recently, he was just, he's been missing in action, uh, even after the suspension. And then uh, we were talking about last, uh, final straws. Uh, there was this interaction with the Angel City Brigade after uh, a particularly painful loss. And uh, it was just awkward, but, you know, we get to the presser and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about the employees, but, uh, you know, Chris Klein, he's sitting there, like, in a T-shirt and jeans. Like, like he didn't uh, make himself available to ask questions, but he's sitting there in a T-shirt and jeans. And, you know, on our podcast, on Traffic Radio, I mean, me and Sophie in very in different ways kind of ripped into him because, I mean, it's like, you know, a T-shirt and jeans, like, you know, I just sent you to that when I go to games, right? And it's like, not only that, but just, the fact that he didn't make himself available for questions. I mean, you got a guy, Chris, excuse me, Greg Vanny, who's just under like a mountain of pressure. You know, I mean, people are starting to clamor for his job and his head. And he's the guy who's got to deal with the summer transfer ban. And he's got to do all these rules. He's got a team that's incomplete. He's trying to be the sporting director. He's trying to be the head coach. He's trying to be five different positions. He actually made a joke about how he had to have, like, a second parking spot because all the different things he's trying to do. I mean, Will Coots has come in recently, and that's a big plus. And we'll talk about that maybe later in a little bit. But, I mean, this dude's under pressure, and he's got, he's got a superior. And we were talking about he was probably telling him, all right, you know, your job's safe. Don't worry. We're not going to fire you, whatever. He was probably there for moral support. But the fact that he was just – it was just so pathetic, and you know, um, we were talking about last draws. Uh, what was it six, eight weeks ago? He made a promise to the uh, season ticket holders that uh, if Chris, if the team did not qualify for the Western Conference semifinals this year, uh, Klein would, would step down. And then you know, the team took a nosedive. But I mean, not, not only that, but at that point, you know, it, it really felt like. It had reached the point where okay, this whole franchise, all the club, the club, the the players, everyone, we're all being held hostage by this one Chris Klein fellow. And I mean, uh, you know, uh, people were trying to figure out, uh, and this might be your next question, so let's get to it. But you know, people are trying to figure out how, uh, you know, is this a boost? Because you saw how the Galaxy and how they performed. Uh, Klein had a pre- or Chris Klein, uh, Greg Vanny had a presser today, and. Um, he mentioned how it wasn't necessarily having a weight off uh, the player's shoulders, but it was more of just a, a refocusing of values, you know. Um, if, think about it. If, if we were, like, professional athletes or we played in MLS, you know, you get transferred to some championship team, right? Like, you know, you can read – you might look it up on the internet, but you know, otherwise, you, you know, you're not going to know if, the, if the, the general manager or the director of football or whoever – you're not going to know – it's necessarily if you're doing this amazing job or great job. It's going to be sort of ambiguous because, I mean, at the end of the day, regardless, you just have to perform on the pitch. That dude's just doing his job and you're, you're doing your job. But on the human side of things, Chris Klein's a good dude. Uh, he was very kind to me every time I've spoken to him. I haven't heard one negative story about the guy in all the years I've been covering the Galaxy, and, you know, that's pretty rare because, I mean, we're talking about the president of a club, for Christ's sakes. But, um, you know... There, if anything, I think that for the players, they internalize the boycott 
themselves. And that makes sense because, I mean, if you think about it, if the team was winning, then there wouldn't be a need for boycott. So they're the ones that kind of perceive it, you know, the way that they do. And so um, it's going to be interesting because, yes, I don't think a weight has been lifted off the shoulders, but I think the fact that they're going to be playing full stadiums again and they're going to have the supporters and that the vibes are just different. I mean, this is the first time, you know, in a while where it felt like the galaxy is fun again. I mean, just to let you know, people were literally dancing in the streets when, when Klein got fired. And I guess that, that says it all, really. It really does. Before I let you go, uh, this coming Wednesday night, big quarterfinal matchup between the LA Galaxy on the road again against Real Salt Lake. What are we expecting with the Galaxy now? I mean, they're on, uh, the, you know, this big, big quarterfinal matchup, and depending on uh, what they'll do against either Chicago or Houston in the semifinals, because I'm assuming they'll be drawn with them. So what are you expecting on Wednesday night in this big quarterfinal matchup against Real Salt Lake for the Open Cup? Well, I thought it was, I thought it was funny because Vanny was being kind of pragmatic and talking about doing things differently. And, you know, I'm laughing because I'm like, dude, it's, you, you know, the team had a whole week off. And then his comments before that were just talking about how the team got some much needed rest. And so I expect the Galaxy to come out tomorrow with just, you know, their A-plus lineup, uh, well, what we've seen in the past from them. I mean, uh, it does get to a point where it's just a <laughs> you know, it's just three games and you've got a trophy. And, uh, yeah, like you said before, you know, a lot of the elite competition in the league has already been knocked out. Uh, Galaxy have a really good opportunity here. So, you know, uh, I see them going for it. If anything, you you win that Open Cup. And I think the momentum from that would be a big deal. And then to the opposite of what happened last year where Orlando won the Cup and then they just kind of faded. The Galaxy win it, I can see them, you know, maybe moving on to bigger and better things, especially if they can get Costa back in get them going for any more than like two games about a red card or an injury or something stupid. But uh, as far as the team, yeah, um, I mean, I, I I don't know. I mean, uh, I think what, what we saw uh, versus Salt Lake was good, but it was also temporary. I mean, the Galaxy did give up two goals. Uh, Bond had a particularly amazing game. Um, Galaxy goalkeeper. Uh I mean, we've said, we said in the press boxes that they have to prove that they're a team that's going to be serious first. I mean, uh, even in the Open Cup, LAFC in Seattle, they beat, like, you know, beat the baby Sounders and baby LAFC, and uh, you're barely beating a, a real Salt Lake team. I actually think it's better than people are giving them credit for, but they're still, you know, it's a talent deficit. And so, um yeah, it's worrying, especially when you take into consideration the fact that the Galaxy strength of schedule is one of the toughest in the league going forward. So, uh, uh, and you have no summer transfers, which, again, uh, that's what saved them last year with Ricky Poos and Broodman coming in. Uh, I mean, co- conventional logic, conventional wisdom would say that this team's in trouble. And, uh, you know, going on a run is something that is almost necessary at this point, even with the, uh, you know, the situation where five, you've got five teams not making the playoffs and everyone else has got a playoff for as Well, uh, they, they've got a lot, they've got nine losses already this year. So they, they've got, they still got something to prove. Yeah, I agree with you there, and hopefully we'll see what happens down the road with this season moving forward, and uh, we'll see if the Galaxy can find a way to uh, climb back to the top of the uh, standings in the Western Conference. But listen, Mike, thanks again for always coming on the show, and thank you for continuing the great work you do covering soccer in the L.A. market. Uh, I know you do a great job, and I appreciate all the hard work you've done. So thanks for joining me tonight, and hope to have you back on again soon. Ah oh, no, dude! I love the pod, man. Invite you back on when I'm when my brain isn't like just completely full of soccer right now. I mean, I just came back from a from the stadium last night, and you know, um, I gotta tell you, it was a great game, especially the atmosphere. First fifteen minutes or so, you had the yep. the own fans, hundreds of them, and then that, you know, 
they really elevated the LAFC fans who already do a great job. Stadium was rocking the first 15 minutes. It's sad that LAFC couldn't pull it off, but uh, you know, uh, gave Nicolas Lacamoun a lot of credit. I mean, uh, like <laughs> LAFC were the de- uh, excuse me, Lyon were decisive winners over two legs. Awesome. Well, thank you again, as always, and uh, I'll catch up with you soon. Thanks a lot. Thank you. You too. Mike Gray from the Striker News, covering the LA Galaxy and the LAFC and the Los Angeles soccer. Uh, once again, Chris Klein, no longer the president of the club, as the LA Galaxy has fired him, and uh, we'll see if that will continue on. Uh, for the Galaxy to get back to their winning ways of some sort. It's really more off the field issues, but still, though, very difficult to see that happen. Now my uh, next guest, I uh, recorded an interview with him once again, Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle, talking about Austin FC. And here is that interview right now. Eric Goodman of the Austin Chronicle. Daniel Feuerstein here, and welcome back to the American Soccer Show as we get ready to talk about Austin FC. Bad times, but maybe things are starting to turn around. Joining me to talk about Austin FC is Eric Goodman, once again from the Austin Chronicle. Eric, it's great to have you back on the show. And um, quickly, we talk about last night's win over Minnesota United, a 2-1 victory uh, by Austin FC. And to me, it just looks like there's... It, they're looking better. They're attacking better. Uh, obviously, Druisi being back with the club from injury is really ten times better for Austin to go forward to, to try and maybe salvage this uh, 2023 season. Yeah, and, and you know, this month of May, with with the injuries that, that they had, especially in attack, with Druisi missing the entire month, and Fagundes, Diego Fagundes just recently kind of getting back to full fitness. You know, this was a month where Austin put between. Uh, the Open Cup and an MLS, and I know this, this, they weren't the only club for this to be the case, but eight games in a month, I, I don't remember that ever being paid, certainly not in Austin's, you know, short lifespan, but that's that's a lot of games in, within four weeks, and, um, you know, and, and it was about weathering the storm, and, and it was not, you know, it's certainly not, you know, the kind of month that will get you, you know, in, in supporter shield contention. But it's kept Austin right kind of in the mix in, in those lower playoff, um, you know, racks. I don't know if you and I have talked about this, Daniel, but, you know, I, I think it's completely ridiculous at this point how many teams, you know, are eligible for the playoffs in MLS. But it does allow for teams like Austin to go through some struggles to, to kind of work through some injuries and still be uh, in decent enough shape going forward into the second half of the season. It really, really does. And yes, I agree with you. I think it's ridiculous the amount of games are being played. And let's be honest, the amount of games are being smushed into these next couple of months due to the League's Cup being now an official tournament, which unfortunately I, I still have problems with that. But uh, that'll be a different time for a different show. Um, but, you know, starting off this season, you know, Austin FC had tons to play for, CONCACAF Champions League, uh, Open Cup, as we've already said. We know League's Cup is, like I've already said, you know, just down the road a bit. But what were the problems with Austin FC at the start of the season after, let's be honest, two fantastic seasons since their expansion side uh, year became uh, official back in 2021? Well, some of it probably inevitably was just a bit of regression um, back to where you could argue they pro- you, you could certainly in fact I don't think it's going out on any kind of limb to say that Austin overachieved the last season and probably played a lot better than you know the construction of the roster obviously you had an incredible season from Sebastian Riusi that really did kind of paper over a lot of the cracks that that were up and down the roster um they I believe set a, an MLS record for amount of times coming back you know coming back and winning games from being down. You know, that happened at least, you know, five or six times uh, where they were able to get wins, including on the road, which is, you know, kind of unheard of. And so a lot of these things, you know, things just kind of fell the right way for Austin in, in, in a big way last season and then kind of, you know, flipped the script at first, you know, third of the season this year where they, they probably were, you know, underachieving based on what they were capable of and not getting the results that maybe they deserved in a couple of cases. Obviously, it took a long time for Giazzi Zardes to, to find, you know, his rhythm and to get on the score sheet. 
Um, you know, same was true with, with their, you know, DP, Emiliano Ragoni, who's kind of, you know, was brought here to be a right-hand man to Driussi and, and it has really, you know, not, not come close. Uh, so, you know, these things are getting better. Ragoni's getting more acclimated. Um, Zardes had scored prior to, prior to last night, had scored, or prior to, the, you know, this, this week's game, had scored in three consecutive MLS games. So all of these things are kind of, you know, working in their favor. And you know, like we said, you know, it's such a long season in MLS. You know, yes, Austin, you know, blew, it, blew their opportunities to, to compete for other trophies in the Open Cup and in Champions League, which, which was disappointing, you know, down here for this fan base. But if you're focusing on MLS, there's plenty of time left. Austin's right in the mix. And if they can kind of, you know, keep building this momentum and get close to where they probably should be, which in my opinion is a, you know, a four seed or a five seed in the West is I think where they, where they would fall into if they played to what they're capable of. I think, uh, you know, they're, they still got plenty of opportunity to reach their goals this year. Yeah, being in at least eighth place in the West right now, just just you know above the final playoff spot. If we did have playoffs now, you know they would be on the road in the wild card round. But still, though, I, I just feel like that's not where the club wants to be. Obviously, it's not where Josh Wolf wants to be. And what do you think Josh has learned um, with the poor start to the season, especially with the injuries that you said has been coming over and the regression? What do you think he's learned as a head coach right now um, up to this point? It's a good question. You know, I, in, I, it's hard to say that there's he's really – I don't know if this is fair to say, but, like, basically he, there have not been any decisions that have been made that have been inconsistent with the way he's managed, you know, so, uh, you know from day one, essentially. I'll give you an example. You know, um, early this season, Austin had, had two young center backs, Kip Keller and Amro Tarek, both get minutes in games, and, and both each of them committed, you know, a, a brutal individual mistake that, that cost the team a goal. For Tarek, it was an own goal. For Kip Keller, it was passing the ball to Jared Stroud, who was playing for St. Louis, and literally just putting him directly in on goal, uh, just passing to the wrong to, to the wrong team, essentially. So you had two guys commit bad mistakes, um, and, and then we basically were never seen or heard from. We haven't been seen or heard from again, you know, since the, those early weeks in the season. And then you have often sustained, you know, a bunch of injuries in their center back position. And you think, all right, maybe it's time to forgive and forget a little bit and, and, you know, give at least one of these guys a second chance to prove themselves. And it hasn't been the case. So, you know, Joshua, he's got his way. He's got his guys. It's hard to earn his trust, and, and until you do, you're not going to be seeing minutes, even when Austin's in, in pretty desperate shape for, for warm bodies, given the injuries. Mm, very true, and I think it's a little weird, even though technically it's not, but you know, you want everyone to contribute in the goal-scoring department, but you know, I don't think you want your defender, John Gallagher, to have uh, the lead in goals with five at the moment uh, for this club. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's nice that your defender's you know, chips in every once in a while, but to lead the club with five, I think it's a little too much. Right, and that said, uh, I'm driving the train for John Gallagher as as a um, deserving nominee for the All Star team this year. He's he's got five goals. No other defender has more than three. He also has two assists, so he, he's tied for the lead in overall goal contribution. So taking nothing away from the from the incredible season that he's had individually, you're absolutely right. You you, you are not going to be a successful club at, in any league when um, a right back, granted right wing back, does get involved in the attack a lot. But a nominal defender being your top scorer is not a path to success. Drewsi getting back healthy and scoring uh, at the midweek in, in, in his return is big. Obviously, you would expect that by the end of the year, um, he would wind up as Austin's top scorer. Certainly, if, if they're going to be successful, that would that would have to be the case. Um, and you know, but Gallagher has been. You know, he scored some great goals, and um, you know, without and, and important goals too. I mean, obviously, without his goal, Austin don't get the win. Um, over midweek, and, and so it's, uh, it's, it's something that is, is a pleasant surprise, and I think he would admit that too, and he did you know, early on in the season that you know, he'll take it in terms of the top scorer tap title, but it's not something he really expects or even you know, really hopes to continue you know, that far into the season. No, very true there, and we'll see what happens moving forward. And like we've already said, I mean, there's plenty of games left to uh, fix the issues and hopefully get higher at the table in the West, and we'll see what happens there. But, 
you know, what has also been, besides the regression that you've been watching, what, what do you think has been out of whack? Has it been communication? Has it just been the injuries and not enough uh, minutes for some of these players that uh, barely get time that comes in for some of the superstars on the club? What do you think has been the main cause of this regression? I mean, a big thing for Austin for a long time has been kind of a lack of creativity in how they attack, especially when they get you know, into the final third, it's a lot of playing the ball out wide and then crossing. And, you know, up until Zardes kind of got hot, and even, even he is not somebody, you know, necessarily ideal to be just a target man, you know, you know a header machine. They don't really have that guy, that target um, player. Uh, you know, Zardes will certainly get them, but, you know, you're thinking of somebody like, you know, Zhao Klaus for St. Louis, who's, who's just, a, you know, a, a beast in, in the middle of the box. Uh, who can, you know, bully defenders. They don't have that kind of guy. So it makes it a bit head-scratching how consistently that they try to develop that as part of their attack as opposed to, you know, trying to play, you know, within the 18-yard box and play cutback passes and find open runners. I, I would love to see them, you know, incorporate more of that into the game. And, and it would it would help because they have yet to score more than two goals in any game this season, and this is a team that did that, you know, seemingly every other week uh, a year ago. So, um, you know, they've got they've got a disconnect in in you know in, in a lack of creativity and a, in a lack of differentiation. That we'll see if they can fix it. That's not something that is, that's necessarily easy to fix, but um, you know, they've they've now they're getting the pieces back to where it's it's at least will be available to them. Uh, obviously, Josh has two kids. One's at Atlanta, and of course, his own uh, his other son is with him in Austin. I think Owen is with the U.S. Under 20s. How do you think he's looked so far with the U.S. Under 20s uh, now that they're in the quarterfinals of the Under 20 World Cup? Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's started. I believe he started every game for them. I haven't watched. Um, I've been able to watch all of them, but I know he scored and assisted. Um, you know, on, on big goals for them. He, he's he's a really you know he's a bright spot not only for Austin but you know hopefully for for the United States national team. Yeah, I would not be surprised if if he is um, no longer an Austin FC player as as soon as this July. I think that the club you, you hear from Josh just because you know Owen is his son. I don't think Josh, who also, by the way, is now, you know, in taking over from Claudio Reyna, now has sporting director responsibilities because of all that fiasco affected Austin. So, you know, Josh Wolf will essentially be in a position where he's trying to, you know, figure out a transfer fee and, and a destination for his son to go play, ideally in Europe or, or you know, somewhere abroad. And I would not be surprised, you know, if that happens as soon as this summer. Um, certainly at the end of this offseason. I would be very surprised if Owen Wolf is an Austin FC player this time next year. No, I agree with you there. And, and going back to that situation, obviously Claudio Reyna, now that he's no longer with the club, what, what was the feeling like around the Q2? Because obviously that whole situation, I mean, we don't want to keep you know repeating that stuff, but still though, you know, to step down as a sporting director and then remaining as a consultant of some sort, which, you know, I, in my opinion, I thought the club should have gotten rid of him as soon as uh, the findings were out, as soon as we found out him and his wife were involved in that situation with Greg Berhalter. What was the feeling around the Q2 with uh, Claudio Reyna just still hanging around until they finally said, that's it, I'm done? And, and I do believe that we got an update uh, a few, you know, a couple of Month into the season, uh, the question was asked in the press conference. I don't believe Claudio Reyna is, is still with Austin in any capacity. Um, I, I'm not 100% on that, but if if he is, it's, he, it's completely um, you know in the background. But yeah, it was an interesting. Mean, yeah, it was it was a weird time, and what I thought was because I, I, I was you know seems like you know in, in the mindset that you're in where I, I was just so disgusted by that whole situation, and I thought there's no way. You can keep, um, you know, a person in a leadership role and a front-facing role in your club uh, who's been, you know, who's been attached to this kind of behavior. But what was interesting to me was a lot of the fan base that I heard, you know, were so were so excited about the momentum the club built a year ago, and really, you know, were were not in not in any kind of rush to to have Reina go out the door, and were kind of inclined to be a little forgiving and. And, you know, we're, we're real concerned if, if getting rid of him was the right move for Austin. And I, I've always thought that that was overrating the job that he did. Um, Priusi is a great find, and that's a massive win. Uh, and and, Reina, and Claudio Reina with his Argentine connections, 
um, was, you know, very responsive for bringing him here. But you go away from Drewsy and away from, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, kind of just hits that he, that he had in terms of Brad Stuver, like who's been a great goalkeeper. I didn't think Claudio Reyna did it that fantastic of a job that you would jeopardize kind of the image of your club just to keep him around. And so I, I think uh, how it's gone is, is, has been appropriate. And it's a big opportunity for Josh and then for Sean Rubio, who kind of got also, he was um, head, of, head of player personnel and, and, and has been bumped up into the interim sporting director role. So, I mean, it's been fluid. It's not ideal. It's not what you want, especially coming off of the year like Austin did. Uh, but it, it was the reality that, that they were faced with getting you know caught up in, in that scandal over the, over the winter. Absolutely, and hopefully uh, things will get better for Austin as they uh, hopefully have a better season now that things look like they're going to the right trajectory for uh, the club. And uh, Eric, as always, thank you for your time. I uh, appreciate you t- uh, spending some time with me talking about Austin and hope to have you back on again soon. Anytime, Danny. You got it. Again, Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle as we discuss the current season of Austin FC. Now, Obviously, the news that came out that I would have normally put out there on my intro monologue, I wanted to actually talk about it now because last week was a banner moment, not just for this particular club, not just for USL Championship League, but for American soccer as a whole. Indy 11 broke ground to start constructing their soccer-specific stadium at the moment called Eleven Park. I am so happy. I am so excited. I am thrilled. And once again, this is another building block that is coming to fruition for the game in this country. Obviously, playing at the mic at the campus of IUPUI has been their home for a long time. Of course, the couple of years they used Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, where the Indianapolis Colts play for a year or two or three uh, as the home field. So, you know, there's the Mike Carroll track and field soccer stadium that they moved, uh, they started at and moved back to. Uh, which it's still currently their home. But as I've always said, in this country, we need to build stadiums made for the game, meant for the game. Just like these arenas for the NBA, the NHL, baseball stadiums, major league, minor league, NFL stadiums, indoors, outdoors, retractable roof, or whatever have you. We must make sure that all of our clubs and all of our leagues plays in soccer-specific stadiums. I know it's working in New England. I know it works in Seattle. I know it's working in Vancouver. They're playing in NFL slash Canadian Football League stadiums. Sounders, I know they're not a member of their ownership group is no longer with the, uh, with the Seahawks. I know the Crafts runs both the Patriots and the Revolution. Arthur Blank has both Atlanta United and the Falcons at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I know it's working over there. But one day, one day, I really hope that all of our clubs will be building soccer-specific stadiums. Obviously, Chicago Fire back in Soldier Field. Hopefully, they will build a stadium. Or depending on what happens with the Chicago Bears situation, they'll get out. But once again, as I have said many, many times, every single club of every single league and every single division, I am hoping we build stadiums and that will continue to help with all of our clubs and the mechanism that some of you want, that some of you believe should be coming in now, that will help bring that in so that it can happen. 
because I don't want to lose clubs below the MLS level or below the USL championship level. We must stick together. We must come together. And we must all be on the same page to make this work. If not, if not, then we're going to lose clubs and we cannot lose clubs. We've lost too much already. Let's move forward and let us be as one. I'm excited. I'm thrilled. I'm happy. Indy 11, congratulations. Breaking ground on your brand new soccer stadium and hopefully it will be ready to go in a couple of years when that season, what year it's going to start, I don't know. But congratulations, Indy 11. Congratulations, Indianapolis Soccer. Congratulations, State of Indiana. And congratulations to everyone in the city and the state. You have yourself a brand new home in your area and in the entire state of Indiana. Congratulations once again. Now time to move on to the Red Bull uh, review. The New York Red Bulls winning down in Miami, unfortunately losing to Orlando at home. Let me say this. Troy Lissane right now has to work with what he has. And at the same time, the amount of games they have played in the month of May has been tremendous. Squeezing in games. And unfortunately, don't want to say it, but this is reality, probably tired legs. Now the New York Red Bulls will be going into at least a two-week break. And then they'll be ready to go for their next home match in late June against Charlotte FC and Atlanta United. And let me just say this. I I, want to say this right now. Troy Lassane has done a bang-up job. He's got the guys back on track. He's brought in brand-new confidence. He has done... He has done an amazing job with what he has had to work with. And it was great seeing these players coming back from injury. But now, unfortunately, it looks like Lewis Morgan is injured himself. And again, now we're not going to speculate what type of injury it was, but it looked like a hyperextension uh, or he hyperextended his left leg, I believe, in the second half when he subbed in. And hopefully it's not too bad. Hopefully it's not the worst case scenario. We'll get news and we'll pass along information for you when we find out. But I really hope Lewis Morgan will not be lost for the entire season. Uh, That would be a shame. We don't know what it is at the moment, but the hope is, is that Lewis Morgan will be available to come back off the bench and hopefully his time, if he is on the injury list, uh, hopefully it won't be long and he'll be back out there. We'll see what happens, but it's really tough to see him being injured again after what he just went through the last month or so. Matt, last two months or so, and it's uh, it's disheartening to see that, and hopefully he'll be back and ready to go. Once again, when we get the news, we'll pass it along to you uh, as soon as we can. But, you know, this problem that this team still has is converting goals. Corey Burke gets into great positions, but he's just having his problems with converting chances. Either he's rushing it, they're just not going in the back of the net. I think he just has to be a little bit more calmer and a little bit more looser to try and put the ball in the back of the net as much as possible. Uh, as much as possible. So we'll see what happens uh, with the situation. But once again, it, it's just a situation where I just really, really, he's got to be a little bit better. I think Von Zier played a lot of minutes so far. Of course, he played 120 minutes in the Open Cup game against FC Cincinnati. And uh, 
we'll just have to wait and see what they'll do now with League's Cup coming up. And you already know about my position about League's Cup. We'll have to wait and see on that. But other than that, it, it's it's really it's just really you know gotta see what more can come out of it and what can they do in the transfer window. We don't know what will happen in the transfer window. It is a big mystery, but you know so far we haven't seen we have not seen Serge Nagoma you know trot out there, and we haven't seen enough to say what's going to happen. But you know what it is. They are getting better. They are improving, and they still need more work. That's the truth. And until that happens, we'll have to wait and see what the situation will be. But they are no longer in the basement of the Eastern Conference. They are still behind the playoff line, but but I think they're working their way up. We'll see what happens when they come out of the break, all rested and relaxed. We'll see what they'll do with the rest of this season coming forward. No more Open Cup. Still have the League's Cup. We'll have to wait and see what will happen there. But outside of that, we shall find out as we get ready for the rest of the 2023 MLS season. I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Mike Gray from the Striker News. And I want to thank Eric Goodman from the Austin Chronicle. My name is Daniel Foyerstein. Thank you for listening to me tonight for the U.S. Open Cup quarterfinal review show. Once again, enjoy yourselves tonight. And as always, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care so long and bye-bye for now. Have a good night, everybody.